It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Sam, happy Thursday. How you doing? Happy Thursday, guys. I'm hanging in. Good to be with you. Hey, we uh, we always look forward to it, Sam, and we've got a lot to get to uh, with you this week, as we do every week, but uh, we were just chatting about Nick Wright, and I don't know if you know him, but he, he uh, is on a TV show on FS1, and he talked about the Jazz today, and he called them adorable, and what they are doing is adorable. It's adorable. <laughs> Could you think of a better word to describe the Jazz performance than adorable? <laughs> Man, I mean, he, he took the words right out of my mouth. You know, that's what I was going to go with. Adorable, cute, charming, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming it's in that vein of kind of, you know, skepticism and, and the idea that, like uh, like Marquise Morris of the Lakers even said after the game, the the, uh, the playoffs are a different beast, and, and we'll see if Utah can do it then. And, I mean, that part – of the discussion is, you know, it's going to be there until the end. I mean, it's, that part, to a degree, is fair. I mean, we we saw this, not this Jazz team, but, it, you know, we saw the Jazz lose that 3-1 lead to Denver in the playoffs and, and, and be bounced pretty quickly. So there's no way to rectify that, you know, other than getting back there again and, and having a different outcome. Um, but I think the, the conversation has got to be, more respectful of the Jazz. and I mean, regular season dominance matters when you see historical context like uh, 22 of the first 32 games, you know, with double-digit wins for the first time in NBA history. You know, you see third-quarter dominance. Uh, like I, I saw the other day that, the, you know, the Bucks and, and Warriors team, I think it was Bucks and Warriors, that um, these Jazz are right there with them with, you know, best third-quarter teams of all time in terms of uh, point differential. So, you know, there's a lot of information telling us that this is real, and it is going to create a lot of expectations going into the postseason. But, uh, you know, adorable is probably not what I would have gone with. What word would you go with, Sam? Um, what word would I go with to explain the jazz? I mean, the, the easy, not very creative one is, is dominant. They're very dominant. Um I this is not a, not a great one either. I mean, the word thorough comes to mind. I'm trying to, to get at like the the depth of what they do. Maybe depth is the word, um, but but even that's too simplistic, you know. And, and to me, it is the the layers that this team has in terms of its fabric is is what makes it so different. And it's the defensive identity that, you know, goes well beyond Rudy and what he does. And I certainly think he's the defensive player of the year right now. But it's the wing defenders who get the job done. And, you know, and then on the offensive end, you know, it is this one-of-a-kind formula where you have six players scoring in double figures and you have shooting for days. You know, they what they have 29 two games ago, 29 threes. Yep. And then uh, I don't know what they finished with last night, but it was up there. Um I mean, the shooting and the way that Rudy kind of makes that all work offensively as the guy in the middle is incredible. But they just have, you know, more hands in their cookie jar than any other team in the league right now. And I think that's why you're seeing that dominance. 
Just a couple of notes for you, Sam. That, that game against Charlotte, they had 19 threes off the bench, which has never happened in the NBA before. And the last two games, since they made 22 three-pointers last night, uh, they made 50 over a two-game span, which has also never happened before in NBA history. So, I mean, you know, they're doing some things that we haven't seen before. And on kind of a related note, I enjoyed your, your – um, piece at The Athletic on the MVP race. And I also appreciated that you did talk about the Jazz, and even though you didn't have somebody represented uh, in the discussion, you explained why. So let's talk about this a little bit. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah, I don't mind ahead. jumping in. I mean, that's, you know, it, it was funny because as I wrote the piece, you know, admittedly, a lot. Of, this is kind of my process, but a lot of times I'll be finishing a story and it's pretty late at night and you're you're running out of gas, and but you want to make sure you feel okay about, you know, or feel good about the, uh, the the work that you're putting out there. And was you know, and I, and I was done for the night. Well, my pro, you know, the process is in the morning. It'll go up about an hour after I wake up. We kind of go through it one last time. And so, thankfully, I woke up and had the epiphany of like, you know, hey, dummy, you didn't say anything about Utah. You know, even though you don't have, I mean, I had thought about their guys, but I hadn't. I just at least addressed the elephant in the room. So I ended up adding that last paragraph pretty late in the process. And, you know, I did make a choice to not have essentially any jazz players in the top 10 for MVP because it had a top five ranking and then a second tier with five more guys. And not an easy choice. Um, you know, and then one of the difficulties is I'm still, yeah, I'd be somewhat on the fence about which guy on the Jazz that would be. I think it would be Rudy, um, but we are admittedly a little program to, to consider wing players first. That doesn't make it right by any means, but, you know, Donovan's been good. Um, but you, you said something a second ago that, that touches on what I wrote, which is that it's not just the depth, um, but the more hands you have in the cookie jar, I think, you know, the, the, the harsh truth is that the stars are the main core players you know, the, the less credit they get. Because if you have six players in double figures, if you have bench guys hitting 19 threes, that's a very different formula than James Harden and Kyrie Irving dominating for Brooklyn or, you know, so many of these star-driven teams. Uh, and, you know, the Rudy Gobert discussion is a really interesting one because he's forcing us to potentially rethink what an MVP candidate looks like. Uh, again, I'm not there yet right now. Um, but I do get it, you know, at our place at the Athletic, you know, John Hollander had written that uh, he believes that Rudy should be in the discussion. And I'm certainly processing those opinions, and I, I get it for sure. But uh, for me, I'm not there yet. Sam, maybe it is that uh, maybe people don't believe because they don't see a LeBron James on this team. But that is, in fact, the beauty of the team. And I know that's not the formula right. for championships in the past. But but it's it's like Jake and I have said so many times in the last week, few weeks that this team wins in different ways. I mean, they're, they're third in offensive rating and second in defensive rating, and they're first in overall net rating. Uh, this team is not just some pretty team that goes out and bombs away. It plays defense, too. And, and that's why you would think that at some point uh, – the, the the people would start, if not saying, okay, this is a championship team, at least giving putting them on the table with that discussion. No, I'm with you for sure, Gordon. Uh, I just don't – I would not equate – I really would never equate, you know, the MVP discussion with 
with respect collectively as a team. Uh, if anything, uh-huh. it's a weird tip of the hat to what the Jazz have built that they could be this dominant and not have an APP candidate, or at least a traditional one. Um, because I 100% take them seriously as a title contender. And in a lot of ways, you know, Steve Kerr earlier this season, kind of being the first you know, rival coach, if you will, to publicly say that he sees Utah as a, a real threat, you know, that was real substantive because of who Steve is and what his Warriors teams had done. And, and in some ways, you know, this team does remind me a little bit of those Warriors teams, at, at least when it comes to the depth. Because as, as much fun as it was to watch Steph Curry and Clay Thompson do their thing, and, and I, I guess I would mainly focus on the, the pre-Kevin Durant era, um, what we are seeing now with, from the Warriors is a reminder that Steph's great. We're seeing his greatness right now. Uh, Draymond is still a, a high-level all-star caliber player, even though he's not scoring at all. He's an incredibly unique, impactful player. But they don't have the Andre Iguodala, the Sean Livingston, the Andrew Bogut's, uh, the David West player, you know, players like that, 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 you know, that was the Warriors' depth, and that was what made them so dangerous, is that on both ends of the floor, you had, you know, even, you know, Leandro Barbosa had a good stand with them. All these different players that, that made it incredibly difficult to guard them, to score against them, and the Jazz right now have that. I mean, I'm watching last night, and nobody on the Lakers could – I mean, Jordan Clarkson was a water bug out there, and nobody could keep up with him. And even when he's shooting from long range, it really struck me that, you know, just his, his kind of bounce and his quickness and his, you know, deliberateness with his shot, the, the Lakers had nothing for it. You know, and Donovan, I, I forget how long it was before Donovan even scored in that game, and the Jazz are up – 11 in the third quarter, you know, late second quarter, whatever it was. And, and that's what it is. It's these waves of, of scorers. You know, one night it's Yang hitting a bunch of threes, then it's Joe Ingles, you know. And uh, it's so many guys. That's a lot to ask, you know, of the opponent to slow that down. Sam, want to ask you about the Lakers who we saw last night and juxtapose them a little bit with the Clippers uh, because depth is becoming a bit of a theme in this week's conversation. But when they faced the shorthanded Clippers a week ago Wednesday, man, the Clippers fought. Uh, you saw some good play. I mean, it was not, uh, you know, the Jazz won by a little bit, but it was certainly not an easy win. And then last night against the Lakers, you know, it was LeBron and then a bunch of other guys. It seemed like the there was a, a difference in depth there against both shorthanded teams. Is depth going to be a problem for this Lakers team? Yeah, it could be. I mean, you know, no Dennis Schroeder is an underrated thing that people are talking about enough. Um, Lakers actually, I think, won their first game without Anthony Davis after he got hurt. But then when Schroeder went down, they started dropping games. So the combination of no Davis and no Schroeder, has obviously been real tough for LeBron. Now, my my friend and colleague, uh, Tim McMahon of ESPN, had a tweet last night that, that I thought kind of hit it on the head where he said that if the Jazz and Lakers faced off in the playoffs, that, you know, he, he said his opinion would be LeBron and AD would be the two best players in the series, but that the Jazz might have 3 through 10, you know, once you got past those two guys. And, again, that speaks to what Utah – has and, and how they were built. Um, the Clippers, the Clippers are funny right now because you can sense that you know they feel as if you know that they've been overlooked a little bit too because there's so much Lakers talk as the reigning champions. And, and watching that game, 
I felt like the Clippers wanted to make sure that Utah, you know, didn't think that it was up on their big boy level just yet. And they clearly are. But in a game like that, you can take a pulse and, and see where you're at. Um, ironically, it was about a week before where you got I got that sense from Brooklyn playing against the Clippers, where the Nets beating the Clippers kind of gave the Nets confidence and made them feel like, you know, they were in this thing for real. So all these different teams are sizing each other up and, and kind of seeing where they stand. Now, you know, the Jazz have approached these challenges, I think, in a, a pretty healthy way. I mean, Donovan talking after that Clippers game about, you know, what they would pull away and, and why he felt like it was a growing pains moment, but a positive one, I thought, was a mature kind of perspective on it. But, yeah, I mean, depth is going to be big. Uh, I would certainly take the Clippers' depth over the Lakers right now. Um, on the Lakers, Montrose Harrell, as the Clippers know really well, he can do some nice things for you, but, you know, his defense last night was just embarrassing, and, and that's something that the Clippers saw plenty of times over. But nobody's got Utah's depth. I mean, I, I really believe that. What do you think of the Suns, Sam? Are they a legitimate threat in the West as far as, you know, being – a postseason situation that could hurt somebody. Yeah, I, truthfully, I feel like it, I got to do my homework on the Suns. Uh, I watch them a bit. You're guilty of not taking them seriously enough. You know, uh, I was surprised early on when they didn't get off to as good a start as you know I thought they would. I mean, coming off the the bubble performance and then adding Chris Paul, you know, I, I thought they'd be finding their way pretty quickly, but. It's it's pretty remarkable that they're right there in the thick of things right now. And and one, you know, thing that jumps out at me there is that Jay Crowder um, has been a nice fit for them. You know, Mikael Bridges is another important player. But like Jay, yeah, you know, kind of under the radar in the off season, going from Miami to Phoenix. Like you know, you, you know, I, I just remember Jay playing real well for the Heat, and uh, and they miss him out there, and he's helping the Suns. So. Devin Booker's been fantastic. You know, I'm happy for him that, that he gets on that all-star team, even though it unfortunately comes at, at Mike Conley's expense. Um, but, I, you know, I think they're they're good. I feel like they're probably playing above their heads right now. But, you know, we'll see over time. What's happening with Boston, Sam? I saw that their uh, their owner made some comments today about the departure of Kyrie Irving throwing them for a loop. Are they Are they a mess, or what's going on there? Uh, I think they're okay. You know, I think their biggest problem in terms of managing this situation right now is I actually talked to someone about it this morning. That, like, when you got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who have already accomplished such a great deal early on in their careers, and they're now accustomed to conference finals appearances, and they have that mentality of, like, we are among the elite in the East. And that's where we plan on staying. It's hard to then kind of pivot and say, okay, we lost a lot of veteran players after last season. And so now we're going to need to rebuild a little bit, you know, while you guys still keep doing your thing. And then by the time you hit your prime, you know, because we forget how young those guys are. So by the time you're 25 to 27, we're going to be in really good shape again, contending for a title. But to get from here to like two years from now and not have everybody want to kill each other internally with the Celtics because of, you know, not meeting expectations, that's going to be hard. But uh, the question right now going into the March 25th trade deadline is, 
is just kind of how aggressive are they going to be. They've got that massive trade exception for the Gordon Hayward deal with the signing trade with Charlotte that they can use. You know, they're certainly looking at a lot of different things. But I think the internal discussion is, you know, let's not make a move that hurts us a couple years down the road. Um, But I do think there's a fair amount of pressure. And, you know, I I looked at Twitter, I think, this morning or last night, and Danny Ainge was was trending because he had publicly said that, that they were really close on a bunch of trades, you know, within the last year. And people, you know, people are kind of growing tired in, in the Celtics space, and their fans of Danny always kind of acting like, oh, we were we were real close to getting the deal that would have gotten us back to championship level. So I'm curious to see what they do. Who's your favorite in the East? Is it the Sixers or is it the Nets, uh, Sam, or is it somebody else? I, I mean, I, I got to go with the Nets right now. You know, Sixers, I give them respect, but they've fallen off a bit and. If you really break down their numbers, they just, you know, I think the record is, you know, somewhat better than the uh, the data and the analytics. Um, so the Nets have been dominant. And, I mean, it's funny because in that MVP piece that you guys mentioned, I had kind of a, a, a nod to James Harden in the second five. So I don't ever remember an MVP race where I, mean, I legitimately feel as if you know, quite a few guys in that second tier that I mentioned that I could see them winning the whole thing. And James Harden's one of them. If they keep dominating, you know, right now I had him down the list because he's only played in 18 out of the Nets' 33 games, you know, in terms of, you know, starting in Houston and, and whatnot. But if you get to the end of the season and he's playing like this and they're dominating like this, then I could see James Harden being MVP. I could see, you know, that Kevin Durant was on the short list until he had the combination of COVID protocol and, and then injury. But, you know, Durant's been amazing. They uh, they are a bit of an enigma because they just, they're just they still not very good defensively. Even during this winning streak, you know, the numbers have gotten better, but they're still in the bottom third of the league defensively. And that's not only what you see out of a title contender, but it's hard to not just look at it and say, you know, we talk about star power. Um, they've got it in spades. So I'd probably be picking Brooklyn right now. But, you know, I'm not giving up on Milwaukee at all. Um, You know, Drew Holiday's been out. And, uh, you know, and and so they're still only a couple games back of of that top spot in the East. So it should be a good race. Sam, great stuff as always. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you next week. You got it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sam. Our friend Sam Emick from The Athletic, senior NBA writer, and his uh, his, uh, column, what do what do we call online published stuff? Is it still a column, Gordon? He does. I th- I think still a column. Yeah, it's an analysis, a column. Yeah, a piece, a, a story, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, Jake. Anyway, uh, talking investigation about the, uh, about the MVP races is, is good, and he does. He goes in there and and explains why uh, jazz players aren't on the list just yet. So if you're grumpy about it, at least he goes through and justifies it. By the way, he, uh, I had an earworm moment with him there at the end. Did you? He said the word data or Uh data. Uh Take that for data. Oh yeah. (laughs) Every time. Every time. Every time someone says the word data or data. You have to take that for data. He also, in that discussion, he said like that. Like that? He did. We, Jake and I looked at each other at that moment. Uh Like that? Like that. It like really that? is. I mean, it's to the point now. Why would I even think that in talking to Sam? But the second he said it, 
You like think that? It, yeah, you think it every time. And now it's fun. <laughs> fun. 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 Like that. Fun. 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 What was the uh, what was the purpose of the uh, extra emphasis on the end on fun when you said that? Me? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't do it on purpose. Fun. 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 Why did Why did you go up an octave? <laughs> I I don't know. I was just going for extra emphasis, and I think of all the funs that we have there. Mine has the most credibility. Fun. Is that what you're aiming for? Credibility. Fun. Doesn't mine sound more convincing? I guess, sure. Sure, you can have that, Matthew. Let's hear that's, one more time. That's fine. Fun. 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 Hansa sounds the most robotic. Fun. 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 Yeah, but see, Hansa doesn't even sound like he means it. He probably doesn't. Fun. 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 <laughs> All right, stay tuned. We'll have more Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.